you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop, and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. A very warm welcome to you all to another great episode. Last month, I decided to dedicate the month of April to professionals who make a difference to my community, to my city, Toronto. I already had the pleasure to host three amazing guests, a career news editor with an enviable track record and a highly engaging storytelling style. A young CEO who took over the family business and vowed to make it a place where people do their absolute best because they value one another and are having fun. Last week, I hosted Dr. Leanne Davy, a seasoned strategy and leadership development professional who combined her expertise and experience with insight into group dynamics to rehabilitate teams and transform organizations. And what struck me the most about my guest was their sense for knowing quite early uh, in their professional path uh, what will allow them to bring the greatest value to to the community, to their uh, profession. So thank you all, Rod, Tony and Leanne for sharing with us your passions. And today's guest is no different in that respect, yet her path may look slightly different by comparison, yet Equally fascinating because here on this show, we're looking to learn more about uh, how a person makes small or big decisions that shape their lives and their careers and their professional choices. So my guest today is Nancy Mayer. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thank you, Lara. It's great to be here. It's my pleasure. And, and you know, what makes this uh, um those shows that where I hosted uh, people from uh, uh, my community, uh, what makes it more special is that I know my guest in one capacity or or another. So you and I have become friends. Uh, last week's guest was my former colleague um, in uh, when I worked for uh, Knightsbridge. In fact, at some point she was in charge of the uh, place that uh, I work. Um, so. Again, thank you for agreeing to be uh, here today. And just quickly, you and I met during a sales presentation um, given to um, young Canadian entrepreneurs or young Canadian companies, I should say, uh, from the UK government in uh, trying to expand uh, their um, presence in Canada by inviting uh, Canadian entrepreneurs to expand their business in Canada. So when we were when we introduced each other, uh, one of the um, uh, thing that stood up for me, like in the 
first 10 seconds was the word gaming uh, that you mentioned it and was always also on your card and the word advisory boards because as you know my company is called Trusted Advisory Board. Uh, So since then I've definitely learned a lot more, um, a lot more fascinating things about you and your professional uh, background. And again, very interesting because my whole company is based on the premise of variety, of curated or validated input. So when I look to the things that you have done, you are like the poster child for (laughs) for my concept. Um, So Talk to us about that. How did that come about and how did your um, career start and how did it evolve? I mean, I'm asking about 10 questions at, at a time, right. so I shouldn't. Um, but. Thank you. So, yes, I have uh, reinvented myself in a career like five different times. There definitely has been an underlying thread. Um, I was fortunate enough to... Uh, I, I like to call myself an opportunist in the most positive sense of the word, meaning like I like to make the most of every opportunity. And I had a great opportunity, which was uh, being a professor's daughter for free education. So I ended up doing an MBA in international business and arts administration. Um, I knew at a very, very early age that um, I loved the arts, uh, that I didn't have a lot of artistic talent, I also figured out fairly early that I was pretty good in business, and uh, so I, I guess I always saw myself at the crossroads of uh, business and creativity. So I started my career um, in the music industry because when I looked at the different arts, I, I you know recognized that uh, music and film were more commercial. So my intention was to get into the music business become a multi-multi-millionaire, um, have bands touring all over the world. I did my undergraduate in computer sciences and economics so that I could play the arbitrage game. Um, and I got into the music business. I was very fortunate and um, kind of became a partner in an independent radio promotion company at uh, a very early age and then stuck off to be an artist manager with um, with one of my colleagues. And, you know, even before I was 30, I had gold and platinum records, all sorts of great things were wow. happening. And then I basically had <laughs> the quote-unquote tour from hell where I lost everything and... <laughs> had to kind of reinvent myself. So uh, I continued on for a little bit more in the music industry, and then I went into the event management side, so doing, you know, concerts and things like that and big conferences. And um, while I was doing that, I've always had a motorcycle because <laughs> uh, uh, it's just something that uh, that I love doing. And uh, as part of that, I was uh, volunteering to help run the music for this national motorcycle charity event. And mm-hmm. the next thing you knew, I, I was the uh, national event manager. So uh, ended up proudly taking them from about six hundred thousand to one point three million in donations. Then I moved into film. And uh, interestingly enough, all during that time. Um, a fellow that I was dating and I opened a motorcycle accessory company and became a manufacturer 
and ended up having award-winning products distributed throughout the U.S. in several different market segments, motorcycle, motocross, golf, hockey, and uh, extreme sports. So, uh, so Nancy, another... I, want to, I just want to interrupt because I don't want us sure. to gloss over too quickly uh, over uh, your uh, amazing experiences because there's so much then, and I'm sure um, that a lot of people listening are wondering what was it like to uh, work in the music industry and what was it like to work in the film industry. And, and you know, so um, let's go back, uh, if, if I may, to sure. the part where you said that you signed up, you know, uh, Platinum Record labels. What was it like to work in that industry? To a lot of us, is is unknown. What were some of uh, the, let's say, toughest decisions that someone in that environment would would have to make? Um, as a manager of recording artist, you end up making a lot of decisions. Uh with a lot of different people, you're almost kind of like at the center of your artist career. So I guess the very first decision is just uh, picking an artist that you are truly um, crazy about because it's, uh, you know, you're going to be investing a lot of time and energy um, in that. So I think that would probably be the the biggest decision. And, and you want to find an artist that you're as passionate about as they are about their career. So... Um, I would say that's probably the hardest decision. And then, like, with a lot of other decisions in life, I think if you can put your your vision and your outcomes um, and have a bit of a strategy then and what you stand for and what you're looking for and what the bigger um, expectations are, then that can help with a lot of the secondary decisions, like who do you do a record deal with, who do you uh, choose as... Um, your publisher, who do you choose as your um, touring agent? I mean, sometimes you don't always have a choice, but uh, I think when you do have a choice, it's important to make sure that there's alignment between uh, what's, you know, the values that are important for your clients and yourself are in alignment with the people that you're working with. You know, one of the reasons that uh, I, um, when I contact guests, people tell me, um, well, I don't think I have anything to add about decision making and uh, um, probably I'm not the right guest. And what I try to emphasize over and over is that um, we all make decisions every single second of the day. And it's fascinating for me, Nancy, to, um, uh, with my background and what I'm trying to do, to observe how many times the same themes repeat themselves. I mean, what you've described, and I know you are aware, but just to um, highlight that connection, what you described in how you choose an, chose an artist and how you chose the entire member, the team, and having the passion and the clarity and having the brand, it's no different um, to how you would uh, build a business. And uh, whether you build it or it's just, it's a huge corporation that you're leading, there are the same steps being uh, repeated over and over again. So I'm realizing now it's no surprise now to me that you're able to reinvent uh, yourself so many times because at the end of the day, you're following uh, a, a template and, and I'm almost uh, minimizing its its magnitude because it's a huge template that many people never come to understand. Were you aware that um, this is something 
something, it's like a winning formula. Yes, I need to have a brand. Yes, I need to like it a lot because I'm putting a lot of time into it. Or is that insight that developed later on? Uh, I think it's probably a combination of the two, but I would take it one step further saying that, you know, generally I think one of the hardest decisions is when you're heavily invested in something and it's not necessarily working out the way that you want. How do you make that decision to move on or do something different or, you know, close that business down or end that partnership or do, you know, because those of all the decisions have always been the hardest decisions. Like, well, what, what, what am I going to do now with my life? And, uh, you know, because it's so much um, more personal, I think that that tends to be a harder decision. So when I, when I was reflecting over some of the stuff that I was doing, it was, it's really those like, oh, my goodness, okay, <laughs> I failed. <laughs> Maybe sometimes I haven't failed as fast as, uh, or recognized as quickly as possible that, you know, that this is a test and then, you know, it didn't work and what are you going to do next? So, um, you know, over the years, that idea of uh, failing fast and earlier iteration has really served me well in my latest reinvention, which is kind of working in the software development world, um, helping companies build their businesses. So Very interesting. You were saying about uh, perhaps not moving or making the right decision, the decision to uh, move on from the idea. Um, again, I think it's a very um, interesting and fascinating way of creating that balance uh, and to make it worse. I mean, you, you em- uh, put emphasis on what do I do next? Um, there's so many aspects of our being that uh, will be affected uh, by that decision. Can I do it better? Will it happen differently? But there's also the way uh, we've been somewhat wired to make decisions. There's a bias uh, that we um, go through in decision making, whereby if we have invested a lot of time uh, or in a a lot of resources into something it's harder for us to let it go it actually um, absolutely <laughs> yeah we we you know it's like waiting for the bus you've waited a long time uh, you don't want to leave because the bus is going to come well at least in the bus situation you know that eventually a bus will come so that's not that bad Whereas in other situations, we go with the same tendency and uh, we don't know that um, it's ever going to turn out for the better. And I personally experienced that because I never worked in, um, I always worked in corporate situations. I uh, I love renovations though. And uh, you, you, me and everyone else out there, you never know when to, you know, draw the line and say enough. You kind of invest more and more and more and yeah, so it's very interesting. As always, I'm going to find myself at the end of the show thinking, I need another hour. But uh, just a couple of words of uh, uh, the roles you play in the film industry. Uh, well, uh, in the film industry, it was more uh, working on the production side and uh, kind of the project m- management of films, which is uh, in the producer's office. So the producer in the film industry is very similar to the manager in the music industry where you're kind of the hub that everything kind of moves around. So you're working with the director, you're building the team, you're the distributing, the marketing, and, and everything. So, um, so I, I worked more on the production side of the industry and 
the way I got into that was I was uh, actually working with a production directory, a fellow um, that I had met through the music industry because of the fact that I knew that there was a lot more recording studios that he could tap into for post-production type work. And that was kind of the beginning of the relationship. And then I ended up um, working with a lot of different both recording and um, film studios. And that kind of led to, um, you know, being a consultant for some of the production companies. Fascinating. And I can't wait to talk more about uh, what happened next or uh, and even uh, more so about what uh, your organization does today. Um, it's, uh, it's very important uh, to me what you do because in many ways there's similarities between mm. our work, particularly because as uh, uh, being a serial entrepreneur, as Nancy is, um, it's so fascinating to me. I have I've always worked in the um, in the corporate world, and there was a time, and I don't think I've ever said this, Nancy, on the radio, but there was a time when I used to think that entrepreneurs are those people who who can't uh, fit in a corporation. And it's just like something you do because you have nothing else to do or it's your last choice. And of course, today I I find it such a privilege and an honor to call myself one. Um, and uh, I'm just about starting to understand how complex, fascinating, challenging uh, that whole world is. But I just want to, before we go in to follow uh, the conversation that we're having before the break, just very quickly, I just want to uh, go through your um, uh, formal bio. So, um, as I said, you are a serial entrepreneur and you strongly believe in following your passion and leading by um, example. Um, In your work, you've always offered a unique combination of traditional and cutting-edge business development tools, and you built and scaled many businesses in a variety of sectors. And just before the break, you're telling us about your experience in the music industry. Your uh, career includes managing artists, gold and platinum records, as you shared, the film and TV production industry, then later on working with nonprofits, doubling their donations, manufacturing and marketing award-winning products for the motorsports and sports industry, and most recently, managing the rock stars of the new millennium, the software developers. You are and have always been committed to helping entrepreneurs drive innovation and collaboration and facilitate strategic decision-making to ensure successful business ventures. And you're passionate about the trends that are fundamentally changing the way uh, business gets done. Visual thinking, design thinking, and gamification. Um, Because you believe that if you add play to work. You can power up productivity, performance, and profits. And having interacted with you on a professional basis, I think you are perhaps the most um, innovative thinker uh, that I have come across. So, um, did you know that um, um, you apply so much uh, innovation and new thinking to the work you're doing? Was it obvious as you were going through your different um, uh, stages in your career? I don't think I recognized it as innovation until a little bit later, but I did always feel that I was a very creative problem solver. So, um, you know, given any kind of situation, I would 
still to this day, even, you know, it's funny because one of my clients was just telling me the other day, ah, you know what I love about working with you? It's like you don't have just one way of, of helping a client solve a problem. You really delve into the problem, understand the problem, give us a couple of different options on how you think my client could best solve their problems and then let them help solve it. So, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, putting that kind of thought process into work in every single situation, that's what kind of led me to this idea that, you know what, I, one of my strengths is just making things happen. Um, you know, when I was in the music industry and sometimes in the film industry, it wasn't always about raising money. It was about, you know, what are those six degrees of separation? Like, who do you know and who wants to help you? And, you know, um, and, and actually asking for help, I think, is, is a big part. And some of those underlying thought patterns has even kind of led me to this, you know, our, our shared commitment to helping companies understand and put together advisory boards on different levels because my experience has been, you know, sometimes when you get two or three really smart people together and get them to work on a challenge in a, you know, a fun, engaging way that you come up with solutions that you never would have uh, got, you know, gotten to in any other way. And to me, that's so fulfilling. So I was always made a very inclusive environment wherever I was and, you know, let everybody who is participating, you know, have a voice because I think everybody's got so much great ideas to contribute and often aren't asked. And, and you know, again, fascinating. Uh, we didn't talk that much about uh, uh, this particular aspect, but what I'm realizing just now listening to you is that we both came to our concepts through our personal experience because due to your varied experiences, you have become or you had become um, a uh, an advisory board in and of itself. It's not very typical that people would have so many different uh, careers or it's not until now, let's say, um, but once that happens, and in fact, sometimes, uh, you know, when you look at resumes, you, you, it almost comes as a downside to have done too many things or used to be, as I said, uh, but to have so <laughs> I know, many but careers. I figured out a way to tie it all together depending on who I'm talking to so it actually makes sense. So. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I mean, I hope and I hope that our work and my work, it actually uh, eventually one day will demonstrate to people that uh, they are wrong to uh, not value the variety because it is a variety that actually drives progress so like you I came to create a trusted advisory board just by deconstructing my own talents knowing that my clients were always more um, forthcoming with with commentary about my impact than um, my peers, and not because I was any better, but it's it just because I brought a different way of thinking. And I and I just finished uh, about a couple of weeks ago this video on, uh, on for YouTube about the brain, saying that 
sharing with people the neuroscience of the brain and the fact that the brain doesn't really care if the information comes from the music industry or from the not-for-profit industry. The brain will take the information that seems relevant to that problem um, and to solving that problem and will bring it all together. And all of a sudden, you have someone like you who um, is solving it in a way that your clients would have never looked at it. So it's fascinating. We both came to it the same uh, way. I had a, I had a question from, from a listener who asked uh, of the different industries that you worked in, um, which one was your favorite? Oh, that, <laughs> that, that, that's a tough one because as I said off the top, I'm an opportunist in the most positive sense of the word, so I'd like to make the most of every opportunity, and I can honestly say, you know, each decade <laughs> has, uh, you know, has some, some highlights and some lowlights. It's, you know, um, I, I mean, from the, from the music industry, I would say what I miss the most are, are, are just some of the actual characters, the artists themselves, and the way that they think. And, you know, um, being part of that creative process was, you know, a ton of fun. Um, but then, you know, building a, a large business that was product-based and, you know, working with the customers and, like, literally being on the road at trade shows, uh, every kind of different trade show, and being working with the people and getting to know people all over, the, uh, all over the Canada and the U.S. was, you know, really a ton of fun as well. Um, and... You know, I think most recently it's uh, there's always been that element of sharing. You were just talking about, you know, sharing that information. And, you know, so I, I've kind of been moving it into more of a, a teaching, uh, consulting, um, so that I can help more people. And to me that's also just been so rewarding. Um, yeah, so... I think I think right now some of the I just I just love to learn and uh, within the agile and lean communities I think there's some incredible thought leaders that I've had the honor of uh, you know working with and you know starting to write my own book and everything now it's uh, it's 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 all great I mean I honestly part and parcel of what I have to do in life is just uh, you know take every situation take the best lessons learned let go of the rest of the stuff that isn't going to serve you and just uh, say, okay, what's the next adventure? <laughs> and just go in with, with an open mind and, and somewhat of an open heart. I, uh, I can relate to that because uh, I haven't been to a job interview for a long time, but um, one of the questions that would come up was like, well, of the different things that you have done, uh, which one would you like to do again and why? And uh, I would say honestly that none of them I would like to be exactly where I am today because it's um, the sum uh, if you wish of all the experiences that's making my experience today much greater and and the benefit to my to more my clients uh, greater as well so tell us more about what do you do today what does your organization do today my company is called power play and when I first envisioned it it was uh, really this idea of helping business owners take back their power, empower other people, 
and have more fun because, you know, as adults, we spend about one-third of our life at work. And uh, I really do believe, as I said before, that when you add play, uh, you do power up performance, productivity, and profits. I mean, I think as human beings, and I know we've had this conversation quite a bit, is that we are somewhat wired to play and that by using different types of gamification and making things fun and, and using the brain as, um, to help motivate people, um, that to me is just so exciting. So, um, so yeah, so power play in Canada, I'd like to say it's that one person advantage to score the extra goal. Uh, but uh, where I specialize now, I kind of have three product lines. One I call game plan, which is really the business planning component and the strategic decision-making tools and cool things like that. Then I have kind of uh, the accelerator, which is either a project or a sales accelerator program that I've put together. And then finally I have what I call the power circles, which are different types of advisory boards that I help companies with, everything from a strategic advisory board to a customer advisory board, which tends to be more oriented to mid-sized tech companies or startups. Then the kind of uh, community advisory board, which is a not-for-profit, which, uh, you know, a lot of people think about when they think about, oh, I'm going to join an advisory board for, like, marketing for for self-promotion purposes. And the last one is, like, a peer advisory board, which is more of a a mastermind idea where you get six to eight um, like-minded business owners at similar uh, places in their career, and they support one another. So each one is a little bit different. And what I found was when I started really digging in and talking about advisory boards, there was just so much confusion in the marketplace, and everybody had their own concepts. And then, um, so that's kind of what led me as as I continued to pivot my company towards doing more advisory board type services. Um, using these cool tools and um, just listening to the going out and talking to people and listening to their feedback and um, integrating what they have to say to kind of make those those tiny little pivots. Yeah, sure and it's very interesting offering. you talked about the, the confusion. I'd love to hear from you uh, what were some of the misconceptions that you were uh, hearing from uh, from the market about advisory boards? Well, I think the first thing, and the, this is really interesting because I think sometimes when you make that pivot and you say, okay, you know what, my, my new target market, <laughs> because what I had done initially was I was going, oh, my goodness, here are all these amazing tools that I've gotten a chance to become quite proficient at with the visual thinking and the canvases and the design thinking and the what if and the creative problem solving process and all these different tools that I just found so fun, so engaging, so creative that I wanted to bring it back to the arts and entertainment industry that I had come from because I'm going, okay, well, they're very talented, they're very creative, but they're not necessarily the best business people. So here, you know, I have this great solution and I went out there and, you know, got feedback, got feedback, got feedback, but just nobody was biting. And then, um, interestingly enough, I was talking about how I had used innovation games and other games to put together a war room for a sponsorship sales team and how I had started, you know, offering gamification of, of sales teams to make them more collaborative because sales teams tend to be quite 
competitive, but there's lots of opportunities for everybody for to win and become better at what they're doing by by collaborating. And that's when I just started hearing about customer advisory boards, and and, and I was a little confused. So um, as soon as I made that pivot, the interesting thing was the BDC, which is the Business Development uh, Corporation, just put out a big uh, report on the five things that you must do and five things you mustn't do for small and medium-sized enterprises. Number one was innovate, and I'm going, okay, I do all these really cool innovative uh, exercises. And the second thing was to get outside advice. And that's when I really understood that, you know, they're talking about advisory boards, but this would be more of a strategic advisory board. And interestingly enough, in the research they had done, they said there was less than 6% of uh, small and medium-sized companies that have formalized advisory boards. And the ones that did were seeing like triple the amount of sales, double the amount of productivity, which when you combine the two of them together is a huge impact on productivity and I think that there's uh, it's just one of the most underused tools uh, in the marketplace uh, and I think that there are advisors and mentors that want to help but just nobody gives them a formalized way of doing it so um, that was a lot of the confusion like I mean uh, actually what it is what it isn't who do you have on it how does it work I mean just People just really knew very little. And um, they continue to be to know very little because uh, as it happens with everything that's new, it takes a while until someone puts kind of a framework around it. And of course, the first comers would be um, would have the choice of shaping that. I mean, people like you yourself or uh, my organization, um, unfortunately, what I find is that uh, the market itself, uh, although it's starting to appreciate the, the concept of advice, because like you, when I, when I call my company Trusted Advisory Board, um, I had to do a name search and I could have chosen anything because there was nothing called advisory <laughs> something, whereas uh. now everywhere I look, it's an advisory, uh, this or the other, to the point that I nearly changed my company name. And I had very strong opposition to that, but I nearly changed the company name. The other thing that uh, I don't know what your experience is, but I find that um, at least from a decision-making perspective, uh, all our biases cause us not to always make the right decisions. But uh, one of the areas that we can actually improve um more easily than the unknown biases that we don't detect is how we frame the the problem that we're trying to solve. Most of the time, we, we frame the wrong problem. So I'm saying this because now that there are some... Ad- forms of advisory uh, services on the market, I find that people don't know how to use them. Um, I'm, uh, I'm part of this organization called uh, Clarity, and I think it's an amazing concept where a lot of people... Yes, that's a great uh, one. Yeah, it's an amazing one. Well, I don't know if, you, if you've gone or put your name down. I did for the same reason I want to help entrepreneurs and to, uh, uh, you know, socialize the concept more. But the questions that I get um, are, I couldn't get involved. I mean, uh, quite frankly, I wouldn't know the answer, but they're so transactional. I'm thinking, 
what you're doing, you're just saving some time from going on the internet. Because if you put the, in- the question on the internet, you- you'll get it the same way. They're so transactional and likely uh, are not going to take their the, the people who ask to growing their business. They're just going to take them to the next small decision. Do I use CSS or do I use WordPress for my website? So what do you find? Um, well, I think you can get device, uh, you can get advice, advice, advice <laughs> on a variety of different levels. Um, I think how you set it up and what you were talking about is making sure that you're solving the right problem. Uh, one of the reasons I like things like innovation games and the creative problem-solving uh, framework is that it's this idea of divergent thinking and then looking at the alignment and then from there making decisions into convergent thinking. So meaning that coming up with lots and lots and lots of ideas, you know, around a certain question and thinking about things like how might I and using invitational language. And this kind of came up a little bit before what you were saying is like, you know, the questions that you ask your mind to tackle, your mind will tackle. So I think part of it is what you were saying before is, you know, solving the right problem and asking the right questions to solve the right problem because you can spend a lot of time and energy solving a problem, but if if you're solving the wrong problem, then you've just wasted um, a lot of time and energy. So... I think even, I think, you know, that initial step of, of, you know, reframing and evaluating the problem that you're solving is probably one of the most important things that you can do. Now, when you do have an advisory board, I think it's very important that you kind of, um, first of all, strategically think about who you want, what kind of advice do you need, uh, and then kind of the recruitment uh, component, which what your company does is uh, has already pre-recruited some amazing people for people to tap into. Um, you know, what I might help a company do is, ta- you know, uh, figure out who in their circle of friends they might want to recruit. But then the next biggest part is really, you know, the onboarding of your advisors and giving them enough of the right information uh, and uh, and the premise of what you want to solve, what your challenge is, and then when you do have time with them, that you set it up in such a way that you're listening 80% and only talking 20%. Because a lot of times companies, when they finally put a bunch of really high-powered people in a room, end up going slideshow, 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 talk, 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 and at the very end kind of say, well, what do you think? Um, so I like to flip that 80-20 and, and just set it up in such a way that you have visual tools and other ways to think about, you know, that that design thinking, well, what if we did this and what if we did that, and get them to do the thinking um, 80% of the time and just listen. That's where you get some of the highest value. Yes, and and, uh, again, how can I not agree? In fact, my (laughs) advisory board is just for clients that I work with on a regular basis because it takes me a while as a as an organization to understand the business of my clients to understand their their styles and everything else but you know I was just thinking you and I talk the same language and and we understand each other but for many people it could be conceptual so give us some examples of of how you've applied and 
take your pick in terms of I know that you differentiate in different uh, um, in different uh, uh, arms of what uh, the, you offer. Um, give us some example of how you've implemented that. An example of a client problem and how did you approach it and and how did it work out and if that's okay. Yeah, well, I find um, a lot of the work that I've been doing recently has been around, um, you know, strategic planning. And uh, whether it's a not-for-profit or it's, uh, you know, a startup or whatever, um, I think it's really important to um, have a good strategic planning uh, session. So in that case, I tend to use... um, a lot of to, you know visual tools like the business model canvas and I have a big giant canvas and we can look at the board and we can there's almost like a five step process or decisions that I think uh, companies always have to keep their eye on Number so take one, us through it because take yeah, us through so it Nancy because I know it but it, I think it's highly valuable you know at least so uh, for say, the audience to know what you're offering Right. So the first first part is what are your products or services and is there a market fit for them? And uh, in that situation, I would use, probably start with some sort of a value proposition uh, canvas where you really look at, uh, observe who your customer is, what their jobs they need done, what their pains and gains. And then once you observe that and you've validated some of their biggest pains or some of the biggest gains or what the true essence of what they need get to get done is, then you can design your product and services to make sure that there's a fit. So I think that's a really important first step is to kind of uh, – not look at your product and service and, 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 and map it to something and, and force it to fit, but actually start with the customer and what they really want. So that's the kind of product and services. Then that fits into what's your business model? Like how are you going to make, bit, how are you going to make money at it? And again, prototyping your business ideas because a lot of people tend to fall in love with their first idea and they spend a lot of time and money and energy making that thing happen without actually having validated some of that. So uh, with the business model um, process, using a business model canvas as a tool, you can really, well, what if, what if we uh, change this relationship with this customer segment? What if we, you know, uh, looked at a reoccurring revenue model? What if, what if, but just really kind of prototyping business ideas and the business model canvas and very quickly allows you to take a look at, you know, what could tentatively be more profitable. And then once you've kind of gotten to that level, then where the business model doesn't really get into a lot of depth, um, then we get into the actual strategies themselves, right? So, um, so that could be your strategic plan, um, and normally you have to look at, you know, the five key strategic planning areas. So those are your people or your management, the operations, the marketing, the sales, and the finance. And, uh, you know, kind of looking at where are we now, where do we want to go, how are we going to get there, and a lot of that around the strategy. Then actually turning that strategy into uh, action plans and um, initiatives or projects that can people can do and then and then kind of the storytelling around how you got to where you are and and always having an ongoing storytelling element to um 
your, you know, your strategic plan for your business. And then that's kind of like a five-step circle that keeps circling around. And, um, and then those initiatives can then get turned into actual projects. And then when you get into the execution phase, there's some amazing project management tools that, uh, that I like to help uh, companies take a look at for implementation. How long does the, uh, the entire cycle take you, I mean, you and your client, to, uh, from the first meeting and first get-together to the point where you talk about implementation tools? Um, well, it really de- depends on what I'm being brought in to do. If I'm just being brought in to do the strategic plan, then I will meet with a client in advance. I'll do a couple of surveys. I'll interview like the board of directors or the board of advisors and maybe some key clients who do a bit of a 360 to get a really good feel for where are they right now. And then we'll either do a one to two day on-site uh, retreat where we'll go through um, a variety of different processes from, I find a lot of companies are doing a fairly good job at mission and vision, but they really don't, haven't done a lot of work around, the, around their core values, and I think core values are a key, um, a key tool to help make sure that your strategies are in alignment with who, what you stand for, because that's, that's such a core piece. Um, yeah, and then and then just you know getting the conversation going, uh, using a lot of stickies and just giving everybody a voice. Sometimes you know some of the exercises might start with something that's more what I call silent storming, so uh, that everybody writes little ideas down on sticky notes and then puts them up on the wall, and then we kind of cluster and name the theme, and then have our conversations afterwards. I find that's a little more effective than necessarily a big brainstorming session because some people can feel left out. So if you give people time to reflect, write down, put things up, cluster, and then have conversations, you have, um, I find, stronger you know, ideas and, and more targeted uh, solutions. And, uh, you know, so that, and then afterwards we take all that information and roll it up into, you know, the, the key strategies. So that would be like just a strategic plan for a company. Now, if they didn't already have a board or they were looking to do a board of advisors, I would start a little bit earlier. We would do, you know, a bit of a SWOT analysis and find out where they could use the most help and what type of advice do they need and then kind of visualizing, you know, the seven or eight categories that they're looking for advice in and then who do they know or who would they love to have on there. And, again, all these different things are, are really, for me, come down to creating an environment where people can have um, deeper conversations and actually talk about things that they might not otherwise talk about. That's why I use a lot of games. So um, if I were doing a customer advisory board, I would no longer be looking for strategic advisors, um, but I would be looking at helping find probably their eight top super users or people that use their product a lot. And then we would do more innovation games or discovery games, figuring out what one problem, if you fix, would give you the biggest bang for your buck to an actual prioritization game, something like uh, buy a feature where you uh, 
you know, give them four or five different things that they can buy, but not enough money to buy everything, and you'll find out very quickly what's most important to them. So there's these different ways of getting people to have conversations and tell you information that they might not otherwise do it. But and then it's also fun and engaging. So um, it makes them want to be more involved when you do have meetings. And and you know I mean it's uh, it's less pressure, uh, it's less judgment. Although I have participated in some games where people get so competitive, they almost miss the the fun in the game. Right? It becomes about uh, um, winning the game and well, coming first. Know, and, and so for me, that becomes an even better opportunity to for the observation and then debrief because when. People are in that kind of immersive game where they're so competitive and they're so into it. It really, like what I like to say, it doesn't necessarily build character, but it exposes character. So if you say, you know, you really value one thing and then you turned around and stabbed everybody in the back, it's like, how did you play? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, from, again, from a wiring perspective, uh, we talk about uh, the, the greater good, yet we're wired in a very, uh, it's about me way, you know, and, and the reality is because we don't like the sound of it, it's becoming, it, it is even more of a problem because we don't want to admit it or accept it. I told you, Nancy, at the beginning that we'll have like, it's going to fly. The time is going to fly. So guess what? We have three minutes till the end. And I want you to talk to us in this time about the book that you're writing. And I know that it is about advisory boards, but give us a high level of the book and where you at with it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm in my... I'm fourth rewrite, like if anyone's thinking writing a book is easy, there's a lot of work to it. Uh, I've changed the name of the, the title of the book, but basically it's kind of the idea is the power of advisory boards. And uh, so the, the first chapter is outside of the introduction is really the case for advisory boards, which is a look at, you know, what does a, what can an advisory board do for you and, and what is it exactly? And, and then the second one is about like, what does it take to kind of the second chapter is a little more, uh, I've split into what does it take to kind of build one? So why, why would you want to build one? How do you go about building one? And then I have a chapter on each of the different types of advisory boards that I laid out before. So one would be a strategic advisory board. And for that, there's, you know, you want to invite different types of people. You want to do different types of exercises. You're looking for different types of uh, outcome than you would be for doing a customer advisory board. When you look at your community or not-for-profit advisory board, again, you have different... um, criteria that you're looking to get people involved in. Uh, you know, a lot of times with that, it could be um, stakeholders, community stakeholders, uh, people that are, lives are going to be impacted uh, by that um, not-for-profit. And uh, I think that's a lot of times what people are thinking about. And then finally, as I said, a peer advisory board, going back to, you know, the writings of um, Napoleon Hill when yeah. he talked about, you know, what do the richest people in the world do? Well, they have these these, these um, masterminds, which are six to eight of uh, their most successful peers with a commitment to each other to, you know, help them with challenges. And I think in any one of these 
advisory boards, I think it's that, that idea of the positive group think. So not the group sure. think where everybody goes, oh, and they follow like lemmings, but this idea that when you get one or two minds together, that there's like almost a third mind that appears and the sure. solutions. Nancy, and the I'm going to have to stop you. I have to bring you back because you okay. know how important this is for me. I want to thank you for now, but you and I have to get together on the radio again and talk about advisory board because I think it's a very important next stage in the development of of a business as such so i hope you had a great time today i certainly did for everyone out there have a great week and i'll be back next week with another great show so thank you nancy oh well, thank you laura and thank you everyone for listening have a great week from the boardroom to you voice america business network We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in because there's more.